This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Air travel apologies. In Vancouver, four-foot icicles formed on aircraft and bridges. Airport and airline executives grilled over their failures during and after a major winter storm. Hiring blitz in the BC Prosecution Service. We heard loud and clear that some communities are facing crime from repeat violent offenders. A move to keep the bad guys behind bars for longer. And a half billion dollars to preserve housing stock. We expect the fund to protect renters in thousands of portable units. The government's plan to protect rental properties. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Airline and airport executives got grilled today for their roles in the air travel catastrophe that unfolded over the holidays. A Commons committee wants answers for the hundreds of flight delays and cancellations that started with a winter storm and snowballed from there. Andrew reports on the call for stronger air passenger protections. Airline executives in the line of fire, answering tough questions from the House of Commons Transport Committee over what went wrong during the recent holiday travel chaos. Sunwing, WestJet and Air Canada blaming winter weather for most of the issues. In Vancouver, four-foot icicles formed on aircraft and bridges, making it almost impossible to move customers. But members of Parliament at Thursday's meeting wanted more answers. When is it ever acceptable that we have passengers uh, sitting on aircraft uh, for, for up to 12 hours. That was unacceptable in many, many levels. YVR also questioned as to why passengers stuck on the tarmac for more than 11 hours couldn't deplane. That effort requires the uh, coordination and the capability to tow aircraft. The airport authority does not have that authority, nor that capability, nor that responsibility. That is the responsibility of airlines. Sunwing's president also grilled about why hundreds of Canadians were stuck in Cancun, Mexico, after the airline cancelled their flights home. How do you explain uh, a business model that allows you to take money from Canadians while you don't have the, the crews uh, to deliver that service. The inability to position, with the inability to recover from the various locations, uh, duty day limitations, uh, we failed to deliver to the level we had expected to. The federal transport minister also facing scrutiny. Why have you not stood up to the airlines on behalf of air passengers? We are looking at ensuring that more of the burden uh, is on the airline, not on the passenger. And when the Canadian Transportation Agency, whose job is to enforce consumer protections for passengers, was asked if it ever levied fines against an airline for failing to provide compensation under the air passenger protection regulations, there was this. Uh, no. Still, the transport minister is promising change in legislation to improve passenger protections in the coming months. Andrewa. Global News. Another big blow to BC's once mighty forestry sector with the closure of yet another pulp mill. Amaragahi shows us what it means for the future of Prince George 
and what critics say needs to change to turn the industry around. At a time during which many British Columbians are struggling with the financial pressures of inflation and the rising cost of living, a major job cut by Canfor and the closure of its pulp mill operation in Prince George. Very clearly, this is a, a, a difficult decision that had, had to be done. The company says 300 workers will be impacted as its pulp mill slowly phases out by the end of March. Canfor blames a reduction in the amount of timber it is allowed to harvest and a shortage of raw materials. PG Pulp is our smallest pipeline with the least amount of flexibility around its, its uh, product offering. British Columbia is the least cost-effective jurisdiction in North America with the increased taxes, business taxes, carbon tax, the uh, uncertainty to be able to access uh, affordable timber supply. The B.C. government saying it will help some of the workers impacted with skills training and early retirement, adding the entire industry needs to be retooled to do more with less. We do have a shortage of uh, uh, timber uh, and feedstock, so we need to get more jobs out of the trees that we do have, and that will only come through innovation and, uh, and using materials wisely. Industry advocates are sounding the alarm about the year-over-year -year slowdowns in BC's pulp and paper production capacity. There have been shifts in market conditions that are obviously a factor, but so is the fall down from the bark beetle infestation. There are fears now the closure of Canfor's pulp mill will have impacts beyond the 300 jobs lost, especially in rural communities that have relied on previously secure and high-paying jobs in forestry for many decades. Imadagahi, Global News. The family of a missing man is offering a $10,000 reward to find him. Carl Schooner left Bella Coola at the end of November and was last seen in Williams Lake on December 4th. His family describes the 30-year-old man as hardworking and good-hearted. They say it's unusual for Carl to be out of touch for so long, and they've spent weeks in Williams Lake searching for him, supported by the RCMP and the New Hulk First Nation. He was staying with uh, a friend and he was just <coughs> traveled back and forth from Williams Lake to Balakua. He was supposed to come home on Friday the 2nd, Friday, December 2nd, and we never, we talked to him on the 1st and we never heard from him after that. Nothing is ruled out. Every piece of information will be followed through and the RCMP will, uh, will take that and go where it takes us. Anyone with information is asked to call the Williams Lake RCMP. The province is taking some aggressive steps to handle a backlog in cases dealing with, a, dealing with violent repeat offenders. A hiring blitz in the B.C. Prosecution Service. But as Catherine Urquhart shows us, critics say the shortage of prosecutors isn't the only problem that needs solving. Following months of stranger attacks, the province says it's moving forward with its Safer Communities Action Plan, targeting repeat violent offenders. BC Prosecution Service is now on a hiring blitz, looking to employ 40 Crown Council this year. Our immediate focus is on uh, mid to senior level lawyers with at least six years experience, preferably in the area of criminal law. The BC Crown Council Association, which represents the province's 490 prosecutors, supports the hiring move, but notes they don't have a contract. 
we've been negotiating with the government for the last four years, and that creates uncertainty. And we want these new hires to stay with us, to grow with us. Also weighing in, the Trial Lawyers Association. Adding to the resources and firepower of the prosecution and police is unlikely to provide an immediate solution or anything that we're able to see quickly. Additional supports are also needed, admits BC's Attorney General. We know that the Safer Communities Action Plan kind of has has to have two parts. So one is protecting communities from repeat violent offenders, but also putting the, the supports in place for people with mental health and addiction supports. Salaries for the new positions start at $131,000 a year, with some offering flexibility, such as telework. Additional administrative positions will also be added as the province attempts to deal with the ongoing issue of chronic offenders. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. It's been less than a week since the provincial government reactivated emergency operation centers at hospitals across B.C. due to what we've been calling the triple-demic. Keith Baldry joins us now with more. Keith, uh, we're now getting a sense of where the surge, of hospi- surge in hospitalizations mm-hmm. is particularly acute. Yeah, bottom line, it's busy everywhere, folks. Every hospital is really uh, filled to the rafters. Some are over capacity. In fact, four major hospitals right now have more patients there than they actually have base and surge beds on normal time. So they have had resources from other areas. Here's a list of the most busiest uh, or most crowded uh, hospitals. Kelowna General leads the way. 556 patients. That's up 30 over the normal uh, supply of beds, both base and surge. Uh, Royal Inland and Kamloops, also high numbers. 328, that's more than the 295 beds normally on hand. Burnaby, Gener- Burnaby Hospital, 315, again, higher than the usual supply of beds, as is the case at Richmond Hospital. So, folks, healthcare, uh, frontline healthcare workers have been run off their feet in the pandemic. You'd think things might get easier. It's actually getting worse. January's on track to be the busiest January in years when it comes to hospitalization activity in our hospitals, which means hospital uh, frontline workers are really under the gun here. Now, we're going to get an update tomorrow on the respiratory illness situation from Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix at 12.30 in Vancouver. Uh, look for them to point out that influenza is starting to wane a bit. It's, the cases have been going down, but RSV and COVID still remains at elevated label, levels, even though they're stable. So again, more information coming out tomorrow. And we can see the, uh, the proof of that in those hospitalization numbers. All right, thanks for that, Keith. The province is announcing a $500 million fund to help keep BC renters in their homes. The new Rental Protection Fund will help nonprofit housing organizations buy up buildings listed for sale before private corporations can swoop in and snatch them up. Richard Zussman has more. It's a view few can afford, and when they get it, it can be hard to hold on to. There is no feeling worse. Uh, than waking up in the morning and seeing a for sale sign on the front lawn of the building that you live in. On Thursday, the province announcing plans to keep more people in rentals in privately owned buildings, unveiling a new $500 million rental protection fund, giving nonprofits cash and a chance to buy properties. Increasingly, we're seeing activity across Canada and in British Columbia of large international corporations buying up rental buildings, speculating to uh, earn investment income. There are no restrictions on who can bid on a for sale building, 
potentially leading to bidding wars with public cash. When you start to add uh, more um, money into the market, uh, for a finite group of properties, it's, it is going to have that impact where it's going to make it more expensive for whoever ends up purchasing it. The province is looking at possible legislation that would avoid this issue exactly. A right of first refusal, allowing nonprofits the first crack at buying a building over private companies. The uh, government of Quebec has implemented a right of first refusal like this. Uh, that kind of policy reform gives us a handle on what's happening in the market. Over the past 30 years, nearly 100,000 purpose-built rental units in the province were redeveloped or converted to more expensive units. At the same time, BC's population is growing with nearly 670,000 rental households now in the province. Activities and, and investments like this rental protection fund are one part of the key solutions that need to be, to be installed in order for us to mitigate that ongoing crisis. The province estimating the fund will support thousands of units, but in an overheated housing market, $500 million doesn't go as far as it used to. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A Metro Vancouver charity is under investigation for an alleged connection with Beijing covert operations. The Wenzhou Friendship Society is a registered charity that claims to support new immigrants, but it's under a Canadian national security investigation suspected of aggressive foreign interference tactics directed by the Chinese government. No charges have been laid at this point in relation to the society, and a director for the organization has denied any wrongdoing doing, despite the group being allegedly connected to Chinese Communist Party officials. Currently, the RCMP are probing allegations that China has been operating covert centers in Canada using threats, intimidation and corruption to suppress local opposi opposition to Beijing policies. A new idea to help curb catalytic converter thefts. The bandits can hit in only seconds, stealing the valuable exhaust part and leaving a lot of damage behind. What a repair shop in Calgary is doing to stop the crime wave, next on the NewsHour. A coveted part of Victoria's waterfront and the unusual plan for it, next on the NewsHour. And how a plan to speed up the Nexus application process might end up doing just the opposite later. Right now, though, the persistent problem of catalytic converter theft, and despite a number of attempts to curb the crime wave, police say it shows no signs of slowing down. Jasmine Bala has the latest sobering numbers and an innovative anti-theft program that's been implemented in other provinces. Excuse me! Whether it's sawing it off or pulling it off, catalytic converter thefts are on the rise. Between 8 and 10 in the last three weeks, this is completely out of character for Sydney North Sanish. A problem on Vancouver Island and the Lower Mainland. There he goes. This one just last week in Delta, targeting a 1998 Honda Accord in the middle of the afternoon. So why they would target that, I don't know. In the first 11 days of this year, 33 have been stolen in Delta. That's three per day, a crime of opportunity. And in many of these instances, we're finding that these catalytic converters are being removed in less than a minute. So it's, it's a very quick uh, theft and it's very lucrative for these thieves. It's the precious metals inside thieves are after, worth thousands of dollars per ounce. In some cases, more valuable than gold. We have brought in some changes that should really help in terms of the enforcement taking place. The B.C. government cracking down on the problem last year, 
requiring metal dealers to report information about catalytic converter sales to police. But the thefts prevalent as ever. In Calgary, police have taken it one step further. We're looking to partner with Cal Tire to begin an engraving program. Engraving the vehicle identification number right onto the catalytic converter. So tracking it is easier. You're getting a sticker on your window as well. Uh, so showing potential thieves that this car has been, uh, the catalytic converter has been marked. Right now, Cal Tire only offers it in Calgary, but it could soon come to BC. So we're just evaluating how that's going in Calgary uh, to see if we're going to be rolling it out into other markets in Canada. A program the BC government says it's now considering, and local police say they could get behind. I think it's a fantastic idea. To cut back the number of stolen converters. Jasmbala, Global News. Another B.C. driver is speaking out, accusing ICBC of hampering her recovery. Tasha Wong was injured last spring in a crash that wasn't her fault. But as Sarah McDonald shows us, that crash was just the beginning of her headaches. These are all the doctor's notes. It's hard to argue that Tashia Wong isn't meticulously organized. These are invoices that I've submitted and I'm still waiting on payment. With stacks of paperwork and careful documentation of the bureaucratic nightmare her life has become. Since another driver ran a stop sign and totaled Wong's car in East Vancouver last May. It sent us both spinning, um, fully lost control of the car, uh, air my airbags went off. Wong was found to be not at fault for the accident, but that didn't seem to matter under ICBC's new no-fault insurance model. In the nine months since the crash, Wong says she's faced an uphill battle just to get basic compensation for physical and cognitive injuries. They've rigged this game to be that they, they win all the time. A game that's being complicated, she says, by an adjuster on her case, who's seemingly obfuscating or delaying the processing of Wong's claims by repeatedly claiming to be missing documentation. Something that feels calculated, Wong says, as she works to recover from a brain injury. Why do I have to resend all of my documents several times to the same person when it's an email? I was talking to ICBC every single day. Uh, they were asking me the same questions every single day. And I didn't have the vocabulary or words to express what I was thinking. Wong says she's been unable to access appropriate medical care for months now, paying out of pocket for prescription pain medication and only receiving a fraction of her typical income. There's not only no um, uh, pain and suffering payment, there's like, there's no money at all for, for my life being changed. ICBC says it's funded 100 appointments for Wong's treatment so far, telling Global News in a lengthy statement in part, we have been reimbursing Ms. Wong for all approved treatment and transportation costs she submitted since her crash. They fight me on every single thing. I have to get approval for like all of my appointments. You're completely out of luck. You're just completely screwed if somebody hits you. A reality Wong says she is living, despite 15 years of paying annual insurance and a clean driving record. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Coming up, labor woes at BC Ferries. Why some are floating the idea the corporation is a little too top-heavy. Next on the News Hour. But first, what the latest study on long COVID says about your chances of recovery. A global news investigation into BC Ferries shows while sailings have been cancelled due to lack of staff, turns out they are flush with managers and directors. The corporation maintains it's a lean operation, but the union sees things differently. Jordan Armstrong has the details. 
BC Ferries is maneuvering a labor course correction. Retirements, marine industry competition, shortage of ships officers, the pandemic, all factors in the dwindling frontline headcount at the publicly owned company. The public's felt the effects in the form of cancellations. People going to Bowen in a water taxi and buttoned up onboard amenities. How's the service these days? Um, not great. Not bad. I mean, I, I don't use it that much. This is a photo of Premier W.A.C. Bennett admiring the state of his fleet more than 50 years ago. You have to wonder what he'd say about this today. How much of it comes back to, in your opinion, staffing and, and issues with wages and retention? I would say the bulk of it. The union adds its members are way behind their marine peers, with captains and senior officers able to make 20 to 40 percent more elsewhere. Here's another stat. BC Ferries has 39 vessels and 52 directors. He wasn't far off. We checked with BC Ferries, and sure enough, they have 51 shore-based executive directors and directors, plus 18 superintendents, 207 managers and eight executives. It's an interesting stat when you think that there's more more executive directors and directors than there are vessels. BC Ferries interim CEO Jill Sharland unavailable for an interview this week, although the company says she will speak to us next week. By email, a spokesperson says BC Ferries continues to be a lean organization. The company also sent us a long list of incentives it's rolled out to attract and retain workers. As BC Ferries deals with a labor deficit on deck, some say the company is quite swell in the C-suite. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Just ahead, a lesson in self-determination. It's revitalizing our teachings and our culture and the history that comes with it. How the Squamish nation is opting out of the provincial education system. And the proposal that could be a relaxing new attraction on the Victoria Harbour waterfront. In Saskatchewan, Star Blanket Cree Nation says its search of a former residential school grounds has discovered what it calls 2,000 areas of interest. But this is just phase one of the search and it doesn't necessarily mean those are all graves. This discovery has changed everything. It's changed the things that we're going to do. It's changed our mindset. It's changed our, our way of life in a way. Using ground-penetrating radar technology, Star Blanket leaders say they did discover a jawbone fragment on the front grounds of what the former of the former Capel Indian Residential School. That fragment is confirmed to be of a child between the age of four and six from about 125 years ago. They say it further solidifies proof the area they're currently searching is a point of interest for unmarked graves, but further excavation will be needed. Now, if you or someone you know is a residential school survivor and is looking for help, you can call the 24-hour Residential School Survivors and Family Crisis Line at 1-800-721-0066. A prominent B.C. First Nation has taken a huge step towards establishing its own education system. As Julie Nolan reports, the initiative by Squamish Nation is designed in part to help erase the painful memories of Canada's residential schools. Just like this welcome figure at Ambleside Park, the Squamish First Nation is standing tall. 
Expanding on their education beyond schools like the Capilano Littlest Ones to teach language, culture and traditions up to grade 12. We're breaking huge barriers here in regards to putting the in the driver's seat. Last month, through what they call a process of full engagement, members of the First Nation voted 87% in favor of reclaiming their education. You know, we've, we've been listening and walking with our people and um, really want to see our, our ways of being, our nukhneoch, which is a, a, a term we use in our language, our upbringing and our teachings of which I d refers to, like I said, who we are and where we come from as peoples. It also means they will develop their own education law, a monumental effort to free themselves from the Indian Act, cutting ties with Ottawa's power to control their education. They say it's a step toward healing from Canada's dark past. Our teachings and our culture and the history that comes with it, because we're not just saying language and learning words, we're actually learning history of us as people. BC's education minister says the province will fully support the move to self-governing education. We as a province and uh, the Ministry of Education are very um, encouraged by it and they would support them in every possible way. While staffing could be an issue, they're confident they can make it work through partnerships with other districts and schools like SFU. The doors are opening, whether it's through the spirit of reconciliation and the calls to action, we are embracing it and utilizing the opportunity. They'll now start drafting their education law, hoping to sign an agreement with the feds in the summer. Their goal is to see these schools become a reality in the next four years. Julie Nolan, Global News. In health matters, if you are suffering from long COVID, some encouraging news from a new study that has found the symptoms tend to fade within a year in most cases. Researchers in Israel analyzed the medical records of nearly 2 million people from the beginning of the pandemic through October of 2021. They found symptoms like shortness of breath, loss of taste and smell, and other lingering symptoms tend to ease over time and may even be gone within a year. But in some cases, symptoms never totally resolved. And the study did not include patients who contracted long COVID from Omicron or its subvariants. Just ahead, you might call him the maestro from New West. How Carl Herzer is putting a fresh spin on classical music. But first. What I can see, it seems to be a logistic nightmare. Nexus confusion, how a new agreement to improve the cross-border travel program might have just made it worse. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us, when BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. You're watching Global BC. Well, after languishing during the pandemic, the Nexus program is getting a reboot with an all-new process for applications and renewals. But experts are warning the new procedure is very complicated and potentially even unworkable. Paul Johnson reports. There's been a lot of outcry surrounding this impediment to the Nexus program. Border expert Lori Troutman has been tracking the story of the Nexus program since its interruption during the pandemic. The frustrating thing for the traveling public is um, they don't really understand why this has to be any different than it was before COVID. 
At the so-called Three Amigos Summit in Mexico this week, a potential workaround was announced. While the U.S. and Canada still haven't ironed out the core problem of getting U.S. customs officers into Canada for joint interviews, beginning this spring, new applicants and renewals will be able to do an interview at the airport with a Canadian officer, then do a separate interview with an American officer before they fly to the U.S. The hope is this will reduce the backlog that's still in the hundreds of thousands. From what I can see, it seems to be a logistic nightmare. While well-intentioned, U.S. immigration lawyer Len Saunders thinks the workaround may not have been fully thought out. Forcing Canadians to coordinate their interviews with flight times will be an ongoing inconvenience, he says, for a program that for years had been popular, effective and problem-free. I get dozens of calls every week from people who are very frustrated with the current state of the Nexus program. Global News asked the Ministry of Public Safety and CBSA about these concerns and whether the presence of armed U.S. customs agents in Canada has ever been a problem. We didn't hear back in time for this story. Paul Johnson, Global News. A string of flood watches is in place as an atmospheric river is hitting much of the B.C. coast. Flood watches are in effect for the North Shore Mountains, Howe Sound, the Sunshine Coast and much of Vancouver Island. As much as 100 millimeters of rain is forecast and with the freezing level shooting up, snowmelt runoff will add to the danger. People are being warned to watch for flooding in low-lying areas and use extreme caution near creeks and rivers. That's fine, because we have our own ray of sunshine joining us right now <laughs> to tell us when the sunshine will actually be coming back. I'm on show yeah. for well, Christy. Well, hopefully we have a bright spot in there. Thank you so much. Good evening, everyone. But we still have this wave of moisture that will be very heavy, especially overnight and continuing in towards the morning hours. Some of the higher amounts along the western edge of the island and extending in towards Howe Sound, the North Shore Mountains, and a few spots extending in towards the Tri-City. So a heads up, that wave of moisture, that atmospheric river, will continue to bring a significant amount of rain. Also, windy conditions. We are going to see those winds pick up. Areas for the southern tip of Vancouver Island could still see the potential with gusts between 70 and gusts of up to 90 kilometers per hour. These are some of the peak wind gusts that we've already clocked through the day today. Even Abbotsford near Tawasin getting up to 40 kilometers per hour. We're currently seeing those gusts near Saturn Island up to 52 kilometers per hour. The following area, so the rainfall warning, the western edge will continue to see that potential between 50 and up to 100 millimeters. We've got that wind warning for the southern tip of Vancouver Island and our rainfall amounts. We still have additional amounts overnight, 40 and up to 80 millimeters, especially for areas near Howe Sound. So a heads up and along the North Shore Mountains will continue to track that. Should taper off, though, to most areas across Metro Vancouver into the chance for some showers. We are going to see some snowfall. The areas of concern will be along the Rogers Pass, 5 and up to 10 centimeters this evening. Along the Kootenay Pass, an additional 5 and 10 centimeters through the day tomorrow. So check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. The northern half of the province along the coast, we are going to track that rainfall, but I did want to highlight inland we have the potential, the risk of freezing rain is possible with a bit of a transition, and the northeastern corners of the province will be included within that. Southern half of the province, it'll be a chance for some showers. Higher elevations could still see some wet flurries. Most areas near Whistler will see that change over to rain with highs up to six. And along the island, still very wet and windy with the rainfall amounts heavy at times along the western half, inland near Port Alberni. Lower mainland, we've got a mild one though, Abbotsford up to 12 
12 degrees. We will start to see the rainfall taper off to a chance of showers as we get in through the day, but still breezy at times with gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. Weekend outlook so far, we are going to see a chance for some showers for both days, not a complete washout. Highs on Saturday getting up to 11 degrees. All right, tonight's weather window. This is a bright spot as well, and this was captured yesterday. The view from above in Sun Peak. So thank you so much, Doug. Guys, thank you very much, Yvonne. Gorgeous. All right, a rather unique project is going before Victoria Council tonight. It'll be a floating spa in the Inner Harbour. Haven Experiences is floating the idea of an environmentally friendly Nordic-style sauna barge, a sauna barge at Ship Point in front of the legislature. It would feature four saunas, both hot and cold pools, along with indoor and outdoor spaces to relax, socialize and host events. The proponent says it would provide a year-round economic boost to an underutilized waterfront space and has the support of the Harbour Authority. It's, a, it's an exciting new initiative for the harbour, so we're happy with that. And you know, I'm hopeful that the proponent is successful. We've been supportive of them. Uh, they've been following the public process all the way, and I'm, I'm very satisfied the public's had an opportunity to provide their comments. After tonight's public hearing, councillors are expected to vote on third and final approval. Floating spas have proven successful elsewhere, including Helsinki, Oslo, and even Montreal. All right, we've got some breaking news now. We learned Lisa Marie Presley has died. The only child of Elvis and Priscilla Presley, once famously married to Michael Jackson, was rushed to hospital earlier today after suffering a cardiac arrest. She had been found unresponsive at her home. Presley became the world's most famous baby when she was born nine months after her parents married and became joint heir to Elvis's estate after he died of a heart attack in 1977. Lisa Marie was just 54 years old. And some more sad news from the music world. Randy Bachman tweeted out his little brother, Robbie, the drummer that was the backbone of BTO, has died. So Randy wrote another sad departure. The pounding beat behind BTO, my little brother Randy, has joined mom, dad, and brother Gary on the other side. No word on the cause of death. Robbie Bachman was 69 years old. And you might notice there was a reference to Jeff Beck in there as well. Maybe Jeff Beck needs a drummer is what Randy said. Fair. Mm-hmm. Fair. All right, uh, let's bring in Squire Barnes. Some sad news, sorry, Squire, leading into you. You know, um, I think sometimes it's forgotten and shouldn't be forgotten what a huge band BTO mm -hmm. was at one time. Mm -hmm. In the early 70s, they may have sold more records than most bands in North America. Yeah. And Amazing. A lot of bands came out of this area, but they were sort of the ones who paved the road mm -hmm. for the ones that followed. And, uh, and, and, and Bachman Turner Overdrive uh, obviously had had uh, the other great solo artist in there too, right? Like, wasn't there? They teamed up Burton Cummings and well, and, uh, well, Randy Bachman was in the Guess Who at one time. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. the. So yeah. you think about the the connections. There's a lot of connections. They all came out. Of, there's another city that had a lot of great music come out of it. Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know those guys, Neil Young. Anyway. Uh, I'll talk a little hockey here. Before tonight's game with Tampa Bay, Bruce Boudreau explained why he made, why he made Oliver Ekman Larson a healthy scratch. I mean, it's about accountability. It's about a lot of things. So, um, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's something you don't want to do. OEL is one of the Canucks' highest-paid players, but like some others, he's not giving value for money. Also coming up, a new movement 
A new movement in classical music, the young conductor from BC shaking things up at the concert hall. Nobody likes riding the bench, do they? Nobody likes riding the bench, and nobody likes wearing civilian clothes while your friends are playing. <laughs> that's right. One thing to ride the bench, that's embarrassing enough, but when you're told you're not playing tonight, you have to sit in the stands or the mm -hmm. press box and watch the game, that's even worse. And that's what happened to Oliver ekman Larson. He was left out of tonight's roster for the game against Tampa Bay, and quite frankly, it is justified. He has just not been that good defensively. He's not as quick as he used to be, and he's not making up for those defensive blunders with a lot of offense either. So with him out of the lineup, Elias Pedersen gets an A over his heart as an assistant captain. And the Canucks get the first goal in this game. Connor Garland. Horvat is stopped by Vasilevsky, but Garland's there to make it 1-0. Lane Peterson hits Vlad Nemestikov from behind. Ouch. And he has to pay for that by dealing with uh, Pierre-Edouard Belmer. He held himself in good account, I would say, Lane Peterson. Power play for the uh, Lightning. They have one of the best in the NHL, and it capitalizes right there. Corey Perry tips it in, and now it's 1-1. Uh, then Alex Kalorn turns and fires. No, 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 no. You two don't need to block shots. Someone has to go to Kalorn. That made it 2-1. JT Miller, great pass from Quinn Hughes. This is a Canucks power play goal. The Canucks power play has been a bit cold of late, but that's a PP goal and a beauty as well as Miller makes the move and ties it 2-2. But then poor defense here. Everybody's looking at one guy and wide open Kucherov, 3-2. And how about this? Two defensemen go to one guy. No, no, no. Not necessary. Brandon Hagel, 4-2. Uh, Steven Stamkos on 498 career goals, make it 499. That was on a five-on-three power play. Now the Canucks got it close to 5-4. But the game has just ended. So the Canucks got to 5-4, but couldn't get it to 5-5. Another game where the Canucks allow five goals against. Okay, Tanner Pearson is out for the rest of the season. He needed yet another surgery on the hand that he injured back on November 9th in a game against Montreal. Since that day, he's had three surgery to fix what's wrong. Uh, Pearson will finish the year with only 14 games played and one goal scored. He has one year left on his contract. The Boston Bruins had not lost a game at home in regulation. But tonight, the Seattle Kraken became the first team to beat them in their own barn. Behind the line deflection by Brandon Tanev to make it 1-0. And Martin Jones stopped everything Boston threw at him. And Seattle wins it. Boy, are they playing well. 3-0 over the Bruins. Last season, the Vancouver Whitecaps brought in some key players during the season, which did help. But uh, they feel those players will help even more this year because instead of having to hit the ground running halfway through a season, they can get a full camp and a full year for 2023. Being the new kid in school can be tough, getting to learn everyone's name while figuring out where you fit in. But at least new center back Matias Laborda has the benefit of a full training camp instead of joining midseason. It helps, you know, to have this seven weeks now to prepare um, without a, a, a meaningful game. You know, I came here and... 
I think two days later we had a meaningful game. It's totally different because uh, you you get to know all the, the the stuff the trainer wants from you. So from the first second and also about the fitness, it's it's completely different because you now you are preparing for the whole season. Alessandro Schaff and Julian Grasso weren't the only mid-season additions last year. Andre Kubas was added at the end of April, and while he managed to make an immediate impact, his minutes needed to be monitored to avoid major injury. I think those three players, they should be considered like uh, new signings, in the sense that uh, I would say I'm confident that they will, uh, that they will be more impactful than they, were, than they were last year. At some point... The preseason helps because we can go a lot and work a lot on tactics. Uh, we can do video, we can do training versus zero, we can do double training in, in the same day. So it's going to be much easier for, uh, uh, for everyone to, to get on board. Getting on board quickly will be key to avoiding another dreadful start to the season like we saw in 2022 when they earned just four points from the first eight matches. And this season, they'll have the added challenge of competing in the CONCACAF Champions League. To be in four competitions is something, something exciting. Um, you have a lot of games, you know, you not have, don't have a lot of breaks in the season. Big games will arrive immediately and we need to be ready to go. And uh, so it, I'm, I'm happy that we're going to have good competition in Spain and good competition after, after Spain in Palm Springs. So we'll be ready for that. If the Kansas City Chiefs and Buffalo Bills meet in the AFC Championship game because the Bills had the game against Cincinnati stopped and not finished, it would be played at a neutral site, and the neutral site has been decided on to be Atlanta. Oh. All right. Bit of travel. For, for both. For sure, yeah. For both. For both, really. All right, thanks, Squire. Up next, from heavy metal to highbrow, the maestro from New West who has the music world singing his praises. That's next. Conducting bang. <laughs> this is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you by JM Media. Visit jmmedia.ca. A young man from New Westminster has just been named Canada's most promising conductor. Carl Herzer is co-conductor of the Calgary Philharmonic Orchestra. And as Jay Durant shows us on This is BC, his musical tastes run from classical to classic rock. Don't let first appearances fool you. Carl Herzer has already spent the past seven years helping to lead the Calgary Philharmonic. He was just 26 when he joined their orchestra. I had almost no experience when I showed up to do my first week of rehearsals. Uh, I don't even think I had conducted a, f a full concert. Recently, Herzer won the award for Canada's most promising emerging conductor. He's come a long way since those early years, taking piano lessons as a kid in New Westminster. He was pretty talented right from the start, and you know that just because how quickly he went through all the material. A little experimentation and experience with other genres helped Herzer broaden his musical talents. Over the years, he's tried rock and jazz. He even sang in a heavy metal band at one point. I was influenced by a number of death metal bands with uh, vocal styles, you know, pretty, uh, pretty untasteful. An orchestra adventure. Herzer's been branching out with some online productions, creating a YouTube series aimed at introducing children to classical music. Just listen to how the pitch changes when I stretch out this elastic band. From the outset, I was, very, I was kind of insecure about releasing this because I didn't want people to, to not think that I was a 
serious contemplative classical artist. Sometimes they play the same thing at the same time. Doubling down to help grow the audience and showcase classical music to as many people as possible. I think that this music also serves to surprise audiences. I think that's an angle that, that we can make use of going forward. Jay Durant, Global News. He should get them to try some death metal. Oh yeah, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Watch for this, though. Carl's got an album coming out in spring of 2023, it says on his mm -hmm. bio, so maybe he'll have some of that on the, <laughs> on the new album. Okay, last word on weather before we go, Yvonne. Uh, wet and windy this evening. We still have additional amounts. 15 up to 100 millimeters will be along the North Shore Mountains, western areas of the island, and Howe Sound. So a heads up. Uh, we are going to see mild temperatures in the coming days and a few showers for the weekend so far. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.